0: Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of the For the Love Data podcast. I'm your host, Robert Furr, a consultant with Capco out of Dallas, Texas. And today we're going to follow up on our last conversation that we had about the hype of artificial intelligence, and we're going to take a deeper dive into the four types of automation. We're going to talk uh, mostly about what people are calling RPA, robotic process automation, Um, but we're going to cover several different types of automation that uh, form a spectrum Uh, that different companies and individuals are using today. Uh, so first let's take a, a minute and define what robotic process automation is. According to the Institute for Robotic Process Automation and Artificial Intelligence, RPA is the application of technology that allows employees in a company to configure computer software or a robot to capture and interpret existing applications for processing a transaction, manipulating data, triggering responses, and communicating with other digital systems. Now, the easiest way to think about this is if you've ever recorded a macro in Excel to help you do something, that's a very basic form of robotic process automation. A lot of the tools that are out there today do the same thing, except they let you do it across different applications. They let you manipulate different files and send emails and do things a little bit more complicated than what uh, the average person would be able to do with an Excel macro. And they often wrap that in a easy-to-use user interface that someone with very little technical or coding experience can use, uh, and they sometimes expose more advanced features under the covers. There's a lot of different variations of RPA tools with different capabilities, um, different licensing models, and different places that you can and can't use it. Some of them are limited to just web-based uh, automation. Some of them can work on web pages, thick clients, uh, they can work unattended, etc. And so we're going to go over all of that uh, in a little bit more detail. And then I'm going to wrap up today by talking uh, about some industry uh, analysis from Forrester and, as well as Gartner and leave you with some lessons learned uh, that I have from working with some RPE tools. And I would really love for uh, you to check out the show notes uh, at Uh And you can tweet at me at uh, data. And let me know what you think about this. If you have experiences that you can share, I'd be happy to uh, take those and add those in as comments and incorporate them into, into the show notes. Uh, so let's start off and talk about what four different types of automation really are. There's desktop automation, robotic process automation, which is getting a lot of press today, intelligent process automation, or IPA, which is not the same thing as the beer, but it's almost just as fun. Uh, and then finally, artificial intelligence, another one that uh, a lot of people are familiar with today from, uh, from news and social media and every product company that seems to be uh, slapping that label onto their products. So first off, what is desktop automation? This is basic assistance where users launch a series of automated steps. Uh, it's the start of task automation using, using rudimentary tools like scripts and macros and DBA, uh, things that a lot of people have done in Excel, like I said earlier. Um, It may allow custom uh, coding automation, like some basic programming and scripting. scripting. Uh, But the limitation on this is that uh, it is for targeted processes and it generally requires complicated maintenance. It's generally something that's hard to scale. Now, the next category of automation is robotic process automation. This is essentially virtual assistance, And this is something that will automate repetitive, manual, and non-value-added tasks using uh, the software that I described that has a very slick UI, something that uh, can be embraced by a non-programmer. Most of the time, there's no coding skills required. It's a lot more drag-and-drop visual process modeling. Now, there may be some coding that you need to do to tweak specific uh, actions, but generally out of the box, you can drag-and-drop and get what you need. Uh, If you are from an IT background and you've used an ETL tool like SSIS and the drag and drop features that it has, it's going to be the same type of thing, Um, and it may uh, also be able to do a live recording where you can uh, record your navigation through different uh, applications, and sometimes that will attach to specific applications uh, via process IDs, and sometimes it will do a... Uh, geographic representation on the screen, and uh, record clicks in specific areas as the way to, to playback. back. Uh, these tools generally allow users to focus on more value-added and complex tasks than, than just coding line-by-line. Line. Uh, but generally, some of the limitations are that uh, it only applies to structured data, and exceptions need to be handled by users. Uh, and I've got some first-hand experience on this where some of the more basic RPA tools have some basic exception handling, but they expect you to do a lot of the legwork to customize it to your application or to your specific needs. Some of the more the larger enterprise tools have some out of the box uh, capability to capture specific exceptions, but uh, but still, even with that, a lot of times companies and individuals find that they uh, have very specific needs that aren't uh, handled completely by out of the box functionality and have to be extended. And then, lastly, a lot of the uh, RPA tools are now starting to support some basic OCR, optical character recognition. Uh, to convert uh, data and things like PDFs into uh, digital representation. So that's desktop automation and then robotic automation. And then you start to move into uh, something that can be called intelligent process automation or machine learning uh, is is a subset of this. And so this is technology specific for business process automation. Um, it usually involves tool training and learning um, when processes or formats change and when data can be unstructured it does. Uh, this is where the start of decision-making capabilities come in. So, in the earlier tools, you could uh, basically painstakingly provide uh, decisions through nested if-else statements or case statements to try to come up with a range of options that could be evaluated. Uh, but that's still a rudimentary uh, automation that's going to follow a defined path. This is where decision-making will start to come in and use algorithms and learning over time to uh, to decide the best course of action. Uh, this is also the place where natural language processing and optical character recognition uh, come into more mainstream usage, uh, and it's uh, one of the fundamental foundations of this is you're removing some of the routine, lower-value repetitive tasks, and you're starting to move into more complicated tasks, and this is the place where Um, you might find a lot of uses with workforce management. And then last, the kind of pie-in-the-sky piece is artificial intelligence. And this is something you could call cognitive technologies. Uh, These are things that would allow computers to sense, perceive, understand, learn, and deduct what they need to do. Um, Bots that are somewhat autonomous in a narrow uh, task uh, would be an example of this. Uh, They're able to, you know, Something that could simulate a conversation by answering questions or requests and give guidance would be an example of that. So artificial intelligence is something that we talked about in the previous podcast. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend you to do so. And we'll probably take a deeper dive into that at some point uh, in a future podcast. So I'm going to stick primarily to RPA uh, and talk about some of the benefits of it. Uh, there's a lot of benefits uh, among a lot of different categories, from costs and productivity to quality, user satisfaction, speed of implementation. Uh, and so, if if you're, I'm going to keep using the contrast of Excel macros versus an RPA tool. If you've used an Excel macro, you've seen that it's something that t- uh, tends to be developed locally. The person that develops it has a lot of insight into what they were doing, the reason that they were doing it, uh, and it's often something that is uh, used primarily on the machine of the the person that recorded it. Sometimes they might throw it in a shared workbook or they might hand that workbook off to someone else. Uh, But when you start talking about uh, RPA, uh, it's something that you're really looking more at department-wide or uh, company-wide options to Uh, reduce processing times on tasks and improve productivity. Uh, These are things that, as you move up into the enterprise-grade tools, uh, they offer you the ability to operate uh, at scale, and you can turn a small operation into something that can operate 24-7. I've seen some some statistics that say that average processing time can be reduced up to 40% on tasks when they're automated. Uh, the other thing that you can do with this is you can uh, essentially guarantee quality by eliminating human error uh, out of uh, anything that's manual entry or very repetitive or something that is very detailed but very routine. Uh, this often leads to user satisfaction by allowing them to focus on other activities than, uh, than things that are uh, more basic. And the good thing that uh, you can see with these tools is uh, some really good implementation uh, that's very quick. Uh, some of it can be four to six weeks for some of the simpler tasks and some of the uh, more basic tools. Uh, And a lot of times you can see an ROI uh, that can be attained in less than 12 months. So let's take a look at what some of the processes are that you may want to evaluate as candidates to be implemented through an RPA tool. Uh, I've said a few of these before, but if it's something that's repeatable and predefined and it's something that you can Uh, Drop some data input into the process, and from that point, it requires no human interaction or cognitive decision-making. And if the data structure is standardized, uh, these are all things that are really good candidates. Uh, You also, generally, when you're first getting into RPA, you will be looking for tasks that span across several applications uh, or across several different places within an application, Uh, If your use case is something that's simply I need to go to a single page and enter some data and hit submit, there are more basic scripts that are going to give you more bang for your buck and not be as complicated to implement. The other thing that you're going to want to do is look for things that have a volume that are significant enough to support the development of it. So What this means is that if you've got a uh, set of bad data that came into a system and uh, it's got to run through uh, a data correction process, that's many, many steps, and uh, the number of uh, entries that were incorrect are you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. That's a really good candidate, but you're not going to want to build a robot for something that only has 5, 10, 20 uh, uh, entries that need to be updated. That's something that you would probably source out to a, uh, a, a team of people to go and address very quickly. Um, I've got some... The good thing about RPA is it's not limited to a specific uh, traditional department or industry. Uh, many, many different people are finding uh, value in RPA. So there are use cases in audit and compliance where RPA tools are being used to collect data across a variety of applications or collect data from one application and store it in another for record-keeping purposes uh, or compliance and, and, and regulatory purposes. Uh, there are other use cases where um, customer operation centers are using RPA to automate uh, routine tasks uh, such as the initial triage of um, incoming incidents uh, and then handing over the more complicated or c- kicking out the exceptions to uh, live people. From a traditional IT operations standpoint, there are a lot of routine tasks that uh may involve file cleanup, file archives, and there are a lot of tools out there that can do these things automatically, but if you need to go out and uh, apply some kind of decision logic to determine should you archive right now, should you wait, do you need to save any information and log it somewhere before you uh, kick off the archive process, uh, anything that you have previously had, a repetitive set of tasks that a DBA has to do quarterly or that an operations team has to do weekly or monthly, clearing out logs, anything like that are all candidates for automation and uh, there are a number of ways that you can automate these. There are uh, things in the DevOps world that can automate a lot of tasks. Um, There are scripts that people have been developing and using for years and the RPA tool is really just another tool in your arsenal for this and other departments and uh, you can see how it may apply and it may complement things that you're doing, or it may be something that can be more easily transitioned from team member to team member. And particularly if you're working with teams that are not uh, traditionally as technically savvy and they're not as uh, experienced in coding, then an RPA tool is going to give you more benefits than some of the the tech-heavy tools that have been out there previously. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the... Uh, analyst groups, uh, coverage of RPA, and some of the information that's out there uh, available from that. Gartner and Forrester both have some reviews of RPA tools. Forrester has a Forrester Wave. I believe the latest one is from Q1 of 2017. And Gartner has a market guide report uh, It's that's not quite as easy to find as their magic quadrants. Uh, if you do some digging, you can find that. Uh, I've got several relevant links in the show notes that can show you examples of these. Uh, but the, and if you're not familiar with it, if you've only been around the Magic Quadrant, the Forrester Wave is a very similar, uh, concept. Instead of being a XY matrix, it is a wave where the closer you are to the top right, the better you are. And if you look at the market landscape from, uh, from their point of view back in Q1 of 2017, there are about 12 to 15, uh, vendors that they evaluated. And Automation Anywhere in Blue Prism are in the top right, meaning they are the uh, strongest strategy and the strongest, uh, most mature offering. Uh, UiPath is also in that group. WorkFusion is in a second tier, along with Pegasus Systems, Redwood Software, NICE, Chiron Systems, and EdgeVerve. Uh, and then in the third w- uh, wave, the one that's uh, emerging but not quite as mature as the other two is Kofax, Contexter, uh, and Softemotive. And you can uh, catch descriptions of uh, each of these tools there. Um, you can also see some scores that they have around uh, specific pieces of market presence and strategy and current offering as far as functionality, um, analytics, architecture, breadth of use. And there are some point scores there that drive uh, the formulation into the wave. In addition to the market guide that Gartner produces, they've also uh, got an article that they uh, produced earlier this year in February uh, called Robotic Process Automation, Eight Guidelines for Effective Results. I uh, That is licensed for distribution. I've got that in the show notes. Uh, and they um, cover some key challenges and some recommendations, planning assumptions. Uh, it's a good overview of RPA. One of their caveats is uh, be aware of tools that are actually RPA or just RPA-washed, meaning that it's a previously existing tool that has been relabeled or slightly skinned um, to barely meet the qualifications for an RPA tool to try to take advantage of some of the craze that's behind that. Um, one of the interesting things that they have is a automation options evaluation matrix where they have... Uh, an evaluation of the type of data that you're working with and what you intend to do with it. Uh, so on one side, you have structured data, and on the other side, you have unstructured data. And then are you using it to assist an employee's tasks or replace employee tasks? And then they've got uh, a bunch of buckets of traditional tools within the uh, business process, AI, uh, robotic process automation space. They've got everything from APIs and ERP to IT process automation, robotic process automation, desktop automation, uh, contact center assistance, and they kind of place these uh, around the uh, the four quadrants to show you uh, what tools are most likely to be most useful depending on the type of data that you're working with and um, the intent of the task. So I've linked that in the show notes. Uh, it's a little bit too complex to cover in the podcast, but I I highly recommend, uh, checking that out. Um, they've also got some, some really great guidance here, uh, as far as, um, looking at, uh, things like focusing on short-term, uh, rapid results to, to show a quick win, but keeping your eye on revenue generation, um, formalizing uh, the IT team's involvement as early as possible. A lot of times, uh, functional users will define a need for uh, automation of a task that they do that's very repetitive, and sometimes they will go off and acquire an automation tool on their own, build it, and before you know it, they've got some critical business processes that are dependent on it, and IT teams have no awareness of it. Or Uh, You'll have that same scenario happen, but the functional person that initially brought it in will depart and there is a vacuum uh, of knowledge and no one left to cover it. So the sooner that you can get everybody involved and working on the same page, uh, the better that you'll be Uh, creating a joint IT and and business RPA team is another recommendation. I highly recommend that based on uh, some of the work that I've seen at uh, my clients Uh, and uh another important thing is building the business case for it. So a lot of times you may see pockets of people across organizations that have uh, ideas for individual use cases, and a tool can definitely come in and help serve those, and those can be some quick wins. But what you really want to do is you want to underpin that with uh, a foundation, not necessarily of a governance council like you might see for data governance, but uh, some type of automation alliance within the organization that. Uh, helps develop a roadmap of what's going to be automated when, and uh, someone that can help measure the ROI of what tasks are out there and define what should be automated when. Uh, Another thing that you need to be aware of is communicating what RPA means to your organization. RPA, again, is a term that a lot of people hear, but they don't know exactly what it means because it's used in so many different contexts. Uh, So you really want some... Uh, communication and change management uh, to help people understand uh, what it means, what it's going to be used for, what the path looks like. That's going to educate the people in your organization. Uh, it's going to let them know when the change is coming. It's going to uh, reduce the fear of job losses or uh, overblown fears of the singularity coming out and uh, and threatening uh, existence. And so uh, the Gartner report has some really good points here uh, that you want to think about your philosophy of automation within your enterprise and how you're going to prioritize things. You want to do some internal advertisement. You want to help people learn uh, how to spot processes that are ripe for automation and you really want to emphasize that this is an all-end organizational benefit to allow you to operate more smoothly, more rapidly, and focus on uh, strategic initiatives and really moving the ball forward uh, in the goals that your company has set, uh, rather than getting wrapped up in doing very repetitive tasks. So now let's turn our attention a little bit to the types of licenses that different products have. and. Uh, across, if you look at the Forrester Wave, uh, across those 15 products, there is a range of license types and a range of prices. So, Soft is a tool that uh, you could get started with with uh, a single license that's a few hundred dollars, and so that's one of the types of product models—a single license that allows you to uh, license one robot or running it on one single machine and expand into uh, higher amounts of usage that have volume discounts and also uh, more robust tools that have more enterprise features. Uh, Another model is a customer revenue limitation model. Uh, A company like UiPath uh, follows that. So they have a community edition that can be used uh, for free if you're an individual or if you're a company with uh, less than, I believe, 1 million in revenue. Uh, and so you can, you can use that, you can try it out, and then if you or your organization grow uh, in your your needs or your overall revenue, then uh, you're expected to uh, move into the commercial platform. Uh, and there are other tools like WorkFusion that have, Work Fusion has something called RPA Express, which they market as free RPA, which is indeed true, which is indeed true uh, but they do limit the features of it uh, in the free edition. And then the last uh, model is uh, something that the very large vendors like Blue Prism do where uh, they only implement their product through established partner organizations that they have uh, already entered alliances with. So single license, customer revenue limitations, uh, feature limitations, and partner implementations are really the main four product models that you're going to see Uh, I have linked in the show notes to the community edition of UiPath and RPA Express, uh, so you can definitely give those a try. And the last thing that I want to leave you with before we wrap up this episode is uh, some lessons learned that uh, I have come across in my own work with organizations uh, doing RPA. And that is that uh, a lot of the things that we've talked about here, uh, particularly the things that I mentioned in, in Gartner is... Make sure you have some joint buy-in from the technology organization and the functional side. Uh, make sure you have that roadmap. But uh, some brass tacks that I want to leave you with are: be aware of specific nuances in the applications that you're working with. Uh, for instance, web applications. Some of the newer ones uh, have very standard coding. Um, they they f- have you know new frameworks that produce very clean, uh, very uh, Easy to navigate code using tools like jQuery, uh, and those types of um, products can or applications can be uh, interacted with uh, an RPA tool very nicely. But some older applications uh, have different challenges if they uh, if they render non-standard HTML. Uh, that's hard to navigate the DOM through JavaScript or jQuery or uh, another framework like that, Uh, if they have uh, dynamic um, AJAX refreshing of form elements uh, that make it hard to do a macro recording on uh, and then come back later, or if you're going to uh, see a different uh, user experience based on some of the input data that you might get and enter into an earlier part of the form, that's all kind of dangerous. Um, A lot of large tools like ERP tools like Maximo, and SAP and um, PeopleSoft and some of the other uh, Oracle uh, larger applications uh, offer great flexibility within the tool to uh, create new uh, pages, new menus, uh, all through an administration interface where you don't have to do any coding. However, if those things are being implemented uh, in a way that uh, the navigation is, is easy with uh Logic that the program has internally, but it's not something that is uh, readily viewable uh, through the the HTML source or through the uh, the the presentation layer that the user sees. It's very hard for an external RPA tool to latch onto that and navigate. So we've seen examples of uh, menu structure where all of the links look exactly the same. Um, as far as the uh, HTML classes, uh, the HTML IDs. And so it's very hard to uh, try to use a, a DOM selector to navigate through that. And if um, so this is just a few of the uh, nuances that we've encountered. Uh, I've definitely got some lessons learned that I'm, I've taken to heart, and I'm going to keep uh, uh, with me on any future RPA engagements that I do. But I would love to Uh, hear from some of our listeners and and hear about some of the struggles that you have had and how you overcame those. If you've got questions, please reach out. I'd be happy to uh, talk more about this. It's a topic that I really enjoy and that I'm really excited to see uh, where it goes in the future. Uh, So this is going to wrap things up for us today, but as always, um, there are tons of ways to support uh, the podcast. Uh, Please leave us a review uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be greatly appreciated. you can also reach out to us at Love of Data on Twitter, or uh, you can find show notes and engage with us uh, through the website at forthelovedata.com. And again, thanks for listening. We look forward to diving into this and more topics on future episodes. Until next time, this is Robert Fur signing off.